This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, April 9th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. The immigration debate, perhaps more than most in Washington, suffers from a lack of good information. For that reason, scholarship in this area should be rigorous. Alex Narasta, an immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute, critiques some recent work in this area and talks about what he expects to emerge from Congress in the coming weeks. During the immigration debate in 2007, the Heritage Foundation released a very influential report called The Fiscal Cost of Low-Skill Immigrants to the U.S. Taxpayer. It was written by Robert Rector. This study concluded that a legalization of immigrants and increased legal immigration would cost the U.S. taxpayer trillions of dollars over the coming decades. Uh, the study was very influential in tipping a lot of um, people who were on the edge against immigration reform, changed the tune dramatically uh, from how immigrants are affect the economy to how they basically um, – mean a total loss for taxpayers. It was effective then, and we got some intelligence that uh, the Heritage Foundation, that Robert Rector of the Heritage Foundation was going to release an updated version for this time around. So in response to that, I decided to go through all of the flaws, the methodological errors, the poor reasoning in the original Heritage study um, in order to give some recommendations for how they could improve their study going forward if they were to release a new one, and also to give uh, some evidence to people out there about, you know, they should really take whatever heritage produces on this topic in any upcoming study with a grain of salt. Okay. Now, as, as you point out, scholarship in this area uh, should be done meticulously well. What is your biggest problem with uh, the, the methods used uh, by the study the last time around? My two biggest problems are, one, the study counts the effect of households. Now, what that means is you're going to count the fiscal impact of millions of U.S.-born citizens or millions of spouses or hundreds of thousands of spouses who were born in the U.S. who married an immigrant. And you're going to count their welfare costs, the amount of taxes that they paid against immigration. Now, it's my perspective that you should count immigrants and their fiscal impact when counting immigration. And in order to count whole households, you then have to make a lot of assumptions about the future taxes and future income and the size of government programs in order to measure the net fiscal impact. And that's so speculative that we should probably stay away from that. Uh, Fortunately, Heritage uh, in this study did not. Another one, a huge uh, criticism, is that you should employ dynamic scoring rather than static scoring. Now, what this means is the economy is going to change when there's immigration reform. People's incomes are going to change. The size of the economy is going to change. And consequently, tax revenues and the size of government programs is going to change. And Heritage uh, needed uh, the scholars who did this report at Heritage need to take that into account when they create fiscal projections of the future. Now, they do that very well at the Heritage Foundation when they write about tax policy and changes in taxes and how that will change behaviors and tax revenue going forward. I think they need to employ the same methodology when studying immigration reform. With respect to uh, households, do immigrants tend to live in larger households? Uh, Immigrants, on average, tend to have a few more children than um, non-immigrant Americans. Uh, That goes down to normal rates within a generation, though. But I mean, but the the most important point about the household thing uh, point is that you need to count both the fiscal costs of people, so the cost of going to school, Medicare, Medicaid, welfare, et cetera, and compare it to the tax revenues those people will pay over time. 
So if I take a look at the households today, I'm going to see a lot of kids that cost a lot of money because of public school and Medicaid and things like that. What I'm not going to capture and what's difficult to estimate is how much money they're going to make in the future and pay back in taxes. So this the, this study then does, does not go into, uh, and appropriately so, uh, benefits to individual employers uh, for perhaps not having to raise wages when they would prefer not to? Uh, it, go, it tries to factor in what it calls indirect fiscal effects. So things like you know extra profits to employers, extra return to capital. What it does is, um, and the quote in the study in 2007 says, there is little evidence to suggest that low-skill immigrants increase the incomes of non-immigrants. But that is just patently false. Um, we have numerous studies, numerous examples from reputable uh, academics from uh, Giovanni Perry all the way up to George Borjas and dozens of academics in between who say that immigrants increase not only the size of the U.S. economy, but incomes for Americans across the board. So they really, Heritage needs to uh, take that dramatic impact into account. Um, immigrants are different than us. They cause more investment in the U.S. economy by being here, and that increases tax revenue and economic growth in the future, and I think they drastically underestimate that effect. After the previous legalization in the 80s during the Reagan administration, we saw incomes for legalized immigrants go up by about 15% on average just because of the legalization. So what Heritage needs to do in this study going forward is to estimate that legalized immigrants today would face a similar bump in income and then be on a trajectory toward higher incomes over time as they gain more education. I think they underestimate the increase in income from legalization as well as the increased education that um, immigrant groups today are gaining and their children are gaining. Now, th that bump in income that uh, is attributed directly to uh, legalization, does that come from employers being more willing to hire people who have, uh, say, more clear clearance to uh, work in the United States? Yeah, it's, it's partially uh, related to that. What it is is the, the risk of hiring somebody illegally in the black market means that employers have to be compensated for that risk, and the compensation comes in the form of uh, lower wages for the immigrant themselves. Uh, part of the effect is also that once legalized immigrants uh, invest a lot more in their human capital, invest a lot more in learning English and other skills that are specific to the United States uh, that they otherwise would not be as eager to learn because they could have been deported at any time. So if they put all this money toward learning a skill, uh, that skill could be worthless if they got deported. But since they, you know, if they got legalized, they wouldn't worry about that anymore. They could actually invest in their own skills and increase productivity going forward. Now, you make a particular point uh, in talking about the, the value of low-skilled uh, immigrants where other people typically do not, or even people who are advocates of of increased immigration typically do not. But high-skilled immigration is really, uh, uh, as you say, uh, an area of common ground at this point in the immigration debate. Yeah, you have typical hardliners in immigration like Lamar Smith, the representative from Texas, who last year uh, sponsored a bill to increase uh, uh, lawful high-skilled immigration going forward. So it's really seen by, I think, most, most sides in this debate, most people in this debate, that high-skilled immigration is really the sweetener, uh, the sweet point of any of this, and it's used to sweeten the rest of immigration reform, some parts of which seem uh, less palatable to some people than others. All right. So uh, based upon what you've seen in the, in the 
the Gang of Eight and the other other immigration reform proposals that have come out? Is there something that you expect to see in the next week or so? Expect to see some concrete proposals in the next week or two, uh, some language and legislation to come out in the next week or two. It was delayed a bit by the U.S. Chamber and AFL-CIO negotiations over the guest worker visa program. But uh, by all accounts, those seem to have been mostly settled. And now it's a matter of actually writing the text of the law. And we should have something very shortly that we can criticize in detail. Alex Narasta is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.